Well, I was actually hoping that we were going to initiate a new style for summer worship. You know, it's been so hot, and I've been out at camp for the last couple weeks, so I was like, I'm kind of used to that kind of dress, but we do what we got to do, right? And I want to thank y'all for the opportunity I had to go out to camp, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's very encouraging to see kids doing some of the same things that I did at camp. And then what's also humbling is all of a sudden the first couple of days I didn't recognize that I actually have kids of kids that I counseled when I was a youth minister and now their kids are at camp. And I'm like, what's your last name? Like, yes, you are their kid. You look at their face and you realize who it is. Um, but I'm very grateful that camp is still going on. Woodland, y'all, is a great program, a great camp. I'm very thankful that we partner with them and uh, support that camp and what's going on and appreciate so much the volunteers that work with our kids this week. But let me tell you something. <laughs> I had third, fourth, and fifth grade, seven third, fourth, and fifth grade boys in a cabin, and the first two nights I thought I was going to kill them. <laughs> they did not want to go to sleep, and I was like, I'm at the age now where I fall asleep about nine o'clock. So it was, it was a little rough the first few days, but um, it was a great week, and we're very grateful for that. And not only third, fourth, and fifth graders, but Alex and... Um, um, Emma, we're out with our middle schoolers, and uh, some of our other folks were out there, and we're very appreciative for that. Um, this morning, uh, we've been going through this series called um, Conversion Factor, and we've been going through the book of Acts and looking at the various conversions that we see as the church, as God's kingdom spread all over the world after Jesus was... Uh, as he lived, as he was crucified, as he was resurrected, and then he gave this great commission right before his ascension, said, go into all the world, and we're seeing how this is actually taking place in the book of Acts. But I want to ask you all a question, so I want you to think for a minute. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that actually led them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Now, some of you, I see a few heads nodding, but think about that for a minute. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that actually led, that conversation led to them becoming a Christian? That is a, a, a very encouraging moment, isn't it? When you know that the conversation we had led to this person actually becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you answered yes to that, what was going on that led to that conversation? Was it a, some kind of significant moment in their life, maybe involving a tragedy, maybe a life and death thing where you were talking about these things and all of a sudden it made them think about their eternal destiny, thinking about what was going to happen from now from this particular situation. What was it in that conversation that led them to accept Jesus and realize they needed him as their Lord and Savior? But if you answer no to that, have you ever had a conversation with someone about God or Jesus or eternal destiny. Well, probably all of us have. Somewhere at some point in our lives, we're talking with people about life and somehow that comes up because we all have questions about things. And y'all maybe know some people who seem to have a gift for taking a, conversa a conversation and steering it always towards spiritual things. Whenever you're around that person, they somehow steer the conversation around that. And you go, man, that person has a gift for that. And then there's others who rarely ever seem to talk about spiritual matters. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have someone at your work where you try to steer that conversation to a spiritual matter. And it never seems to work with them because they never seem to want to talk about that. But in life, sometimes circumstances certainly come up 
where we think about things. And we ask these questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose on this earth? Is there a creator and God of this world that's holding everything together? And what standard of morality or ethics should I use for my life? Does that come for God or do I just make them up myself? And then, of course, what happens when I die? We all at some point in our life think about what's going to happen when I die. Sometimes we go to a funeral and it forces us to think about that thing. When we're standing uh, maybe at a graveside after a loved one has passed and we start thinking about our own eternal destiny and where am I going to be and, and we start thinking about those things. But as we continue this series, Conversion Factor, last week, if you were here, if, you're, if, if you weren't, that's okay. We're going to keep marching through where Paul is going on these missionary journeys. And Paul and Silas ended up in a city called Philippi. And if you remember, they were going to share the gospel of Christ wherever they went. They said, people need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And after they had this disturbing encounter, you remember, with this young slave girl who had this spirit by which she could predict the future. And her owners were making a lot of money off of her. But you remember this girl was following Paul and Silas around and shouting, these men are from the Most High God and they're telling you the way to be saved. And finally, Paul turned around one day and says, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, I, I tell you to come out of her. And that spirit left her. And then her handlers realized, uh-oh, we can't make money anymore off of her. And it, and they, you know, it caused a riot in, in uh, Philippi and Paul and Silas were um, seized and dragged into jail and then in the middle of the night, they were praying and singing hymns. And um, there was an earthquake, and their prison doors came open. Their chains fell off. And the guard, if you remember, was about to kill himself because he goes, all the, all the prisoners are going to escape. It's going to be my fault, and they're going to execute me. I know they are. And Paul goes, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And it gave Paul and Silas the opportunity to meet with him and his family. He wanted to know from that situation what did he need to do to be saved. All of a sudden, it was a regular night in prison turned into something that was a defining moment for this Philippian jailer and his whole family because they came to know who Jesus was and they all were baptized that night. So we're going to continue going through Acts. We're going to move from chapter 16 to 17 about how this early church, how God's kingdom is spreading throughout the world. And uh, so we're going to look, uh, Paul goes from Philippi, you remember, they come to let him out of jail, and they realize, oh, wait a minute, this guy is a Roman citizen, and we beat him, and we put him in jail with no trial. He is a Roman citizen. And Paul, and they kind of made some apologies to Paul, but Paul is remembering this, and he's going to keep moving on, but he's keeping this in the back of his, of his head. So he leaves Philippi, and he's going to go about 100 miles to the next city, which is going to be Thessalonica, and we're going to read in Acts 17 what happens. And this is a very strategic city. It was part of what was known as the Ignatian Way. It was a prominent road. The Romans were very big for making roads so people could travel for commerce and all that stuff. And it led from the Adriatic Sea to the Middle East, and this connected the east to the west, this 
this uh, road, and it went right through Thessalonica. And so Paul and Silas were very strategic in wanting to go there. They know that there's travelers from the east and the west that are coming in and out of Thessalonica, and they know when they hear the gospel message of Christ that they will go back to the west and to the east, and this will travel. So it's very strategic in them going where they're going in this second missionary. So we're going to look at chapter 17, and I know it's long, but I think it's important for us to hear what's going on in these conversion experiences. So let's look at Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 1. So when Paul and his companions had passed through Am. Pithilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned, I want you to remember that term, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and providing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of, much, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left, and, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned, there's that phrase again, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked him, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, and were there, were there, uh, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's a side note from Luke there. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that he would that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As from some of your own as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard the, about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others says. We want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of them became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And I know that was long. But you see, as I mentioned last week, they, the political powers that be, the religious powers that be, even the Roman powers that be could not stop the kingdom of God from spreading. No matter where, I mentioned last week, you know, that Paul started a riot everywhere he went. Well, he really did. And this is why I say that, because you see, again, he was just in Philippi, started a riot. He goes to Thessalonica. There's a riot that gets started. But Paul is not stirring this up. You can see there's other people. But what is it? Notice that Paul is simply sharing and reasoning. Reasoning means you sit down and you have reasonable conversation with people say this is what you believe this is why you believe it this is what i believe and this is why i believe and you try to reason with those folks so why would that cause people such anger and angst and when he's talking about jesus who suffered for them who died for them and rose from them and is the messiah of the world why would that message cause such anger and rioting because when paul shared christ what he did and who he was these answer the questions about life that I've talked about earlier. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Is there a creator? What moral standard do I use? What ethics do I use for my life and did I follow? What happens when I die? And Paul is um, submitting to them that this Jesus answers all those questions. But if you don't believe in Jesus and you've been raised to believe that something else or someone else answers those questions, there's this tension what do you mean the thing that I was taught by my dad and my grandparents is not true? What are you saying there's something else I should know? Those answers become new and some did not like it. They did not like what the belief in Jesus does to the answers to those questions. It forced them, it forces us to think differently. It forces us to admit that the way we've been thinking, the way we've been living needs to change and we need to repent. And most folks react strongly to the su suggestion that I need to change and that I need to repent. And those in Thessalonica did. It said, you noticed in that passage, they were jealous because some of the people that they were speaking the Jewish religion to were not converting. But when Paul came in and shared Jesus, they converted immediately. And this caused jealousy among them. 
And then he went to Berea, and you notice they had to sneak him out of the town. And poor Jason, you know, is just giving Paul a place to stay. And he's the one that gets dragged out into the city and gets beaten. He's like, man, I'm going to think again about this bed and breakfast for missionaries, you know, if this is what's going to happen. But it says, when he went to Berea, they received the message with great eagerness. And listen to this. This is important. They examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. And what that means is that they're going to, there, are, there is no New Testament. Y'all realize that, right? There's only the Old Testament. But Paul is taking the Old Testament and he's talking about this Jesus and he's the Messiah. And they're going, how do you get that and saying he's the Messiah? And so he's going back through the scriptures with them and he's re- relating to them. This is where it says this. And they're going, wow, how do we not catch this? But they're looking at the scriptures, they're reasoning together, and as a result it says many of them believed and it was Greeks and it was men and it was women. It was all people were coming to this. So we also read in those in Thessalonica heard about Paul and Silas being in Berea and they don't like this. Oh, now he's trying to convert more people there and they send some people down uh, to try to cause trouble there as well. Now, I want to spend some time here on focusing on how Paul reacted and strategically went about sharing the message of Christ in Athens. It was a little bit differently. You notice when he got there, he's by himself. He doesn't have his traveling companions. They're still back in Berea, and they're going to come later. But as he walks around the city, he sees that there are idols everywhere, and this really disturbs and distresses Paul. But Athens was known for the gods. It was known that there were probably more gods in Athens than there were in all of Greece combined. And it was said that it was easier to meet a god in Athens than actually a person. That's how many gods there were. So Paul started in the synagogue as he always did. But notice in verse 17, he went from the synagogue into the marketplace. Because as we read in that passage, it said people sat around all day talking about the newest ideas. They just talked. They sat around, and uh, what's the new philosophy? What's the new thought? And they talked about this. So Paul had no problem sitting down anywhere in that city and talking to someone about his philosophy and his thoughts on life, which obviously was the gospel message. And our text notes that Paul debated, and there's that word again, reason specifically with two groups, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. And I want to tell you just a little bit about those. Um, William Barclay in his commentary talks about what the Epicureans believe. Because when you hear that, I don't know who, what Epicureans believe. But they thought this, everything happened by chance. There was no God that was controlling, that was omnipresent, was omniscient. There was just everything happened by chance. And death was the end. They didn't believe in a resurrection. When you died, that was it. Nothing else happened. It was only this life. And yes, they believed that there were gods, many gods that existed, but they were not personal gods. And they were removed from the world and they really didn't care about humanity. And then humanity's main goal, according to them, was pleasure. And not necessarily just pleasure that was fleshly or worldly or material pleasures, but pleasure that resulted in no pain as a consequence. And you can kind of see that philosophy. Um, Why would someone want to adopt that kind of philosophy? Well, there's not a whole lot of accountability in that, is there? Because if everything happened by chance and we don't really have any control and there's not really a God that is personal and involved in our lives, then what difference does it make what I do? And so that was kind of how they believed. So they're hearing Paul share that there is a God who is personal 
and involved in our lives. And then there was the Stoics, and they believed that everything was God. Everything was fated since it was the will of God, and we must not worry or care because everything is the will of God, and it must be accepted. So there's no personal responsibility. If anything happens, it's the will of God. It was just what God wanted to happen, so we don't really have any responsibility. And they also believed that after many years, the world would collapse, and then it would start all over again on the same story. Now, if you're having a hard time grasping why they believe what they believe, of course you do. But there's a lot of people in this world who believe some of the same kind of things today, don't they? There is no personal God. He's kind of out there. There might, there might be a creator, but he's not personally involved. He's just aloof and not really paying attention. And so Paul's coming in and go, let me tell you, I used to think in those terms maybe as a, a, a follower of, of Judaism, but now I had this experience on the road to Damascus, and I know God called my name personally Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when I called back to that personal God, he said who he was. He goes, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he goes, let me tell you about my experience. And he goes on to share with them. So these philosophers, after hearing Paul, ask him to come to the Areopagus. Now, we may not really understand, but it was also called Mars Hill. Uh, that was the Greek for it. And it was not only the name of the hill, but it was also a court that met there. And it would kind of be like our Supreme Court, if you will. I think there was about 30 members, and they were the elite thinkers and philosophers of Athens. And they dealt with and ruled on the, uh, the cases that would come upon about moral dilemmas and judgments within Athens. So for Paul to get asked to go to this is a big deal. This is an opportunity for him to share the gospel message, and that's when he delivers this um, a message to Christ. And we heard in verses 22 through 31 Paul's message to this group. And in this message, notice Paul is very strategic. He talks about, as I'm walking around Athens, I see all these idols you have. And he doesn't blast them immediately and say, yeah, and you're all going to hell. That's not where he started. He just says, as I walk around and I see all this, I'm intrigued by this. And then he says, I even saw that there was one that said an inscription to an unknown God. And so he kind of starts there strategically. He says, I'm going to proclaim to you that God is not unknown. He's very known. He has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. And he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, who I'm going all over the world proclaiming. He came to me personally, but he can come to you personally as well. And so Paul made it clear that God is powerful and he does not live in man-made temples when it's kind of silly to really believe that something we can make with our hands can encapsulate a God who created the whole universe. And Paul shared he is a personal God who wants not just religion, but he wants relationship. And he has purposes and plans for everything. And he has created, including each of us individually, he has a plan for all of our lives. And he cleverly quoted one of their poets. We are his offspring. And notice, Paul knows their philosophies. He's listened to these things, and so he's strategic in saying, I know what you believe, but let me tell you what that results in, and let me tell you what my God results in. And so Paul is emphasizing that we are all God's children. He says, you, even some of your poets say that, and he is our father, and he's a personal God that we can know and that we can have relationship with. 
But then Paul made clear that because of who God is as creator, and he has revealed himself not only in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, but now in this new covenant through Jesus Christ, he calls all people to repent. And this is interesting if you think about it. He's talking to a group of judges, and he's telling them, one day you're going to be judged. You're not exempt from that. God is going to judge all people. And he says that God will have the final judgment of justice through Jesus who was resurrected. Now, this resurrection thing causes a lot of stir, if you notice. A lot of people said some sneered, but others wanted to hear more, and still others were absolutely convinced after when Paul got to share this message about who God was and who Christ was. So you say, well, that's great, Craig, but what does that have to do with us? That's great that Paul did that. We're never going to go before some big group. I don't know how many of y'all have had to go before a group and share your personal testimony. But what I think we do learn is that my conversations with others about life really matter. And I think those are important to have those conversations. And I want to encourage you, after being at camp this week, it reminded me again of how important it is to have face-to-face conversations with people about these things about life. Not over Facebook. That is not personal. We can say things. We can hide behind our words. We can hide behind the computer. And I'm not saying Facebook is of the devil and we should never use it. I'm not saying that. But you know what I'm talking about. It's more important to sit down with someone and have a conversation about life. It can be life-changing for someone. Some of you are believers today because someone had a life-changing conversation with you, didn't they? And it can change our life. But what are we talking about in our conversations? Do we ever have... And, I'm, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. I talk about sports and all this kind of stuff all the time. But sometimes I go, I had an opportunity to talk and somehow move that conversation into a spiritual matter, and I didn't. But it can be awkward, can't it? But what I want to encourage us to do is like Paul never lost sight of any conversation I have is an opportunity to move the conversation into these things that really matter, and sharing that with somebody. And do we ever have serious conversations that try to answer those questions about life? How many of us feel like we could share right now, if you went to lunch today, and just by chance, I doubt this is going to happen, but it could, but let's just say your waiter, your server, whether it's a male or female, comes to serve you, and at some point y'all get to talking, and you kind of like the personality of this person, and they're very attentive, And then they said, hey, uh, where did you guys just come from church? Yeah, we just came from church. What if she pulled a chair up? Or what if he pulls a chair up and says, tell me about this church thing. Tell me about this Jesus thing. And just sat there and gave you the opportunity. How many of you would feel comfortable sharing the gospel message? You go, well, Craig, that's not going to happen. But what if it did? What would you do? What would I do with that opportunity? Do we know that personal God? Do we know that Jesus personally enough to sit down and go, well, let me just tell you, and it would probably start with you, your personal story. Well, let me tell you why I'm a believer. And you would share your personal story. And you think, well, that will never happen. But I read a story last week about that very thing happening. There was a group of preachers in a pub in Ireland talking about church planning, and their waitress overheard it, and they were in there every day for lunch during this conference, and she finally, after the third day, go, what is this deal y'all are talking about? What is it, this church planning thing? And she really said, I want to know more about it. But she was a member of a church where there had been a lot of kids that were abused sexually. 
So when she heard church, she had a bad thought of church. So one of the preachers said, I started by talking about the kingdom of God and how I came to understand who God was in this kingdom of God. She goes, kingdom? I've never even heard that term. And she, he started talking to her about it. And in the next couple of days, she was telling, one day, she said, the last day they were there, said this guy, she goes, hey, there's that guy that told me about the kingdom of God. Come here, you got to hear about this. Isn't that amazing? You think that kind of stuff doesn't happen. So what I'm trying to get us to see is that Paul was always ready to give reason for the hope that was in him. And we need to be ready to do the same. And so we ought to be able to have, and it doesn't need to be canned, it doesn't need to be like it's something we've written down and we've got to you know, memorize and tell, but we ought to have maybe what I would call an elevator speech. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're in the elevator with somebody that you could be able to say, hey, this is what I believe about Jesus. This is why I've become a follower of Jesus and be able to share that with somebody. And sometimes we avoid those conversations because it's awkward. I don't want to be intrusive on somebody. And I understand that, but we still have these opportunities. And we should, as Jesus followers, seek to bring our conversations around to those things. Because here's the deal, y'all. Jesus did not just commission the 12 disciples, did he? He didn't just commission those 120 or so people that were there on that mountain when he ascended and gave that great commission. He didn't just commission Peter and Paul and Silas. He commissioned all of us to go and to try to make disciples and make it personal and make it available to anyone at any time. So I want us to start thinking about that as that's how the church started. You notice Jesus left, didn't he? I think it would have been a lot better if Jesus would have stayed around the whole time after his resurrection and we would know. But he says, no, he only stayed around 40 days and then he left. And he says, I trust that you will take this message and it will change the world. And it did. And you remember one of the arguments from the people in Thessalonica. These people are, they're turning the world upside down. And they literally were, weren't they? Paul was literally turning the world upside down because he was bringing in a personal God and a relationship with God, and it was literally turning the world upside down. So I just want to encourage us today that we need to think about our conversations and craft those conversations. And here's the deal. There's some controversial things out there right now, isn't there? The abortion issue, the gun issue. But I should be able to go to lunch with someone, I should be able to sit down with someone face to face, and even if I think very differently than they do about those issues, I hope after that conversation, I can say, hey, I got two tickets to the Braves game, do you want to go with me Tuesday night? And hopefully they will say yes. And we should be able to do that. We should be able to have these conversations and share our beliefs without getting so mad. So I'm going to encourage you to stop doing that on Facebook. And do it personally with that person. Say, hey, can we meet for lunch and talk about that face-to-face? And then it becomes a little more personal and we can share our faith. So I want to encourage that uh, for us to do today. But I'm going to offer an invitation. We offer an invitation every Sunday because we never want to miss an opportunity that someone might be thinking about these questions of life. Where did I come from? What is my purpose? 
Where's my eternal destiny? So maybe there's somebody here today that needs to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. That same conversion experience that we read about in Acts. Maybe you need to do that today. And you can name Jesus your Lord and Savior today. You can be baptized into him. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. And we are certainly not a church that's perfect. We have our flaws. But we are committed to that kingdom of God that Jesus set up and calls us to be a part of. And we would love to have you as a part of that kingdom working here in this body of believers. So we're going to offer that invitation. I think James is going to come lead us in a song. If you have a decision this morning, I'll be here and try to walk you through that. Let's stand and sing.